1: Hi folks, this is Jack Spierko with another edition of the Survival Podcast. As always, one man's view of the changing world, the changing times, and the things we can all do to live a better life. If times get tough, or even if they don't. Today is November the 30th, 2020. This is episode 2,582 of the Survival Podcast. And TikTok, guys, this is the last day of November. I come back tomorrow, it will be December, the last day of the month, or the last month of the year 2020, which I think a lot of people are ready to... uh To flick 2020 off like a booger and hope 2021 is better, I I think it will be in some ways. I don't think we're going to be done with this crap for quite another bit of a while yet, though, as far as the the lunacy of government Uh, and the manufactured side of the pandemic. Now, unlike some, I don't say that the pandemic itself is nothing, right? That there is there is no COVID whatsoever or whatever. I, I think it's it's definitely a problem. I think it's also been overhyped and overblown as a problem by government. Uh, we won't get deep into that today, but uh, I just want to kind of temper the idea that, well, when 2020, like somehow magically, when 2020 ends and 2021 begins, that everything will go back to some kind of normalcy. It won't. We're going to have to fight for normalcy. And we're going to also have to fight trends. And and as we've talked about a lot with things like the Great Reset being the largest assemblage of megatrends being used by the people in power to change the entire uh, setup of humanity between 2020 and 2030. That's what it is. Fighting change means adaptation to the change. It means not... You know, swimming headlong into this giant wave that's coming at you that will smash you into the coral into bits if you try to fight it directly like that as a swimmer, but to learn how to get on a surfboard. And and we're going to be talking about that today in a way as we take another look at cryptocurrency. And I know some of you, like, this isn't your big subject. It, It needs to become one of your main subjects. I've only been talking about this for like 10 years, a little bit more actually at this point. Um, <laughs> I've only been trying to explain this for that long, and I've I, I've heard from the doomsday people that it's all going to crash. It's all tulip mania, and I, I really need you, if you're using that term today, to, to go look up tulip mania and look how long that lasted and start to get some historical context here. This is not something that's going to go away, and it's something you, you can ignore, but you shouldn't. And what prompted today's episode is the subject of today's Miyagi Mornings uh, video that was put out today, episode 11 of Miyagi Mornings. And I talked about, and I'll, I'll give you the synopsis of it when we start with the main subject today, uh, the recent drop of Bitcoin in price by almost 3000 bucks, and then almost immediately going right back up into the $19,000 range. It was spurred by a rumor of what the Trump administration might do on its way out the door. And I talked about why that worked very short term, but it didn't actually change the trajectory of Bitcoin. And I went into that, I said, in depth in the episode of Miyagi Mornings. Miyagi Mornings is usually about seven to eight minutes. This one was about ten Uh, So I'm not going to rehash all of that, but I'll give you the short version of it. But what I really want to talk about today is the future of cryptocurrency. Now, a little over a week ago, I did an episode on getting started in cryptocurrency. I want you to understand that's not what this episode is about, though I do think it might give some people the kick in the ass they need to to take a start into that world. And I will again give some advice on people who are letting fear keep them out. And I really want to give some advice to people who are letting fear of missing out Give them a ridiculous amount of impetus to get in because that's how you get hurt. So, if you do things the way I say today, or the way I say continuously with this, the odds that you're going to get seriously hurt by getting involved in cryptocurrency are pretty damn low. In fact, to be zero if you actually listen to what I say. Okay? And that doesn't mean you can't lose any money, it means you can't get hurt. There's a difference between losing money and getting hurt. If you go out to a restaurant and blow 200 bucks, And maybe you feel like, hey, I really didn't need to do that, but your life goes on as normal. You didn't get hurt. You just spent some money. So in in the worst case scenario, that's the type of loss we're talking about here. Uh, Before we dig into this topic, and again, I want to reiterate, this is something I know some of you want to ignore this. I know some of you want this to go away. It's not going to go away, and it really is a skill set. I don't think you need to master it, but you need to be able to use it because it's only a matter of time before everything's cryptocurrency. And there'll be two flavors of cryptocurrency, actually three. There'll be the government's cryptocurrency, there'll be the public cryptocurrency space, and there'll be the private cryptocurrency space. And you're going to be able to want to play in all three of them. And you can, you can think this isn't coming, but the, the world banks say this is coming. They're going to have their own version of it. And they're going to know everything you do all the time, every penny you spent, everywhere it goes. And if you think that doesn't matter, I I, I I don't know why you listen to my show. If you think it doesn't matter, the government would know every penny that goes through your hands, where it went, where it came from, how much it was, the day it was spent, what it was spent on. I, I, I don't even know what to say. Privacy is freedom, and without privacy, there is no freedom. Before we get into this today, let's go ahead and hear from our two sponsors of the day. Sponsor day number one today, another form of wealth that you can hold on to that can be transferred anonymously. The works really good as long as you and that person are kind of in the same room is gold and silver. And whenever I talk about cryptocurrency, people say, oh, I just believe in gold and silver. Okay, well, I believe in gold and silver also. Also, as in, in addition to all the other things we talk about balancing out your portfolio of wealth in the neighborhood of 5 to 10% of your net wealth in silver and gold. The place I recommend you buy your silver and gold is our sponsor Jam Bullion. Now, I don't do it just because they are a sponsor. That does, of course, <laughs> you don't hear me talk about anybody else on here, do you? But here's why prices are better than the big silver houses like Monix and Atmex, etc. Number two, if you have a problem, I can get directly with the president of the company and resolve the issue for you, even though it doesn't hardly ever happen. Um, Number three, if you're an MSB member, they give you a discount. I don't know of any other places with silver and gold where you can get recurring discounts, where you can get a discount every month on you know minimum purchase. Next they ship for free. Free shipping on all orders. I don't know why you would buy from anybody else, unless you were buying from a local coin shop, which I would understand. But if you were going to buy silver or gold or other precious metals online, I would buy from J. M. Bullion because they give you the best deal. And they support the show you like, and they give you discounts, and they give you free shipping. Why would you go anywhere else? Next up today, what about the other precious metal? What's the other thing? I got silver, gold, platinum, palladium, what else? How about copper jacketed lead? You can find that at bulkammo.com, long term sponsor of the Survival Podcast. And remember, the very simple thing I have about making sure you're stocked up on ammo your gun without ammo is an awkward, expensive club just saying. So check out bulkammo.com today for your stock up on ammo needs. With that, let's dig into this. I want to start out with a quote and this is what I think really um, sets the stage for where we are right now at this point in history. And this is not and this is about the future, but this is not oh the future's just all wonder wonderful, but it is the future it is the future. And you are not going to stop it. So Percy Shelley said one time, fear not for the future, weep not for the past. Fear not for the future, weep not for the past. That which will come shall come, and that which has happened is done. That's the way Jack Spierko would put it to you. We have some things coming in our future that are incredibly exciting. And we have some things coming in our future that are really not that great. Uh, We have the potential for a dystopian, technocratic, oligarchy-driven government which is just like the worst of the worst on top of the worst. At the same time, when it comes to technology, we are entering a phase where the state is finally in an arms race that I don't believe that it can win. We now have a stage set where people who want to compete with the state's systems can develop technology in a garage, or in a hundred garages working together at the same time. And in a weird way, it kind of makes me think of an old TV show series called Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Hold on, this is going to make sense. There's one point where one of the vampires is having a conversation with the, the hero, Buffy, and said, you know, you don't understand. You can be perfect every day, but you're one. One mistake on one day, we win. And in a way, that's kind of how this works, except there's a hell of a lot more people developing crypto and cryptography and privacy-based technology than there were vampires in Buffy the Vampire Slayer. And the state may be more than one, but it's, it's one of these things that's got so many moving parts that they really can't ever hope to get their arms around everything. And when you hear the case I'm going to lay out today... I think you're going to see that there's no reason to weep for the past. Because everything that will affect you from this day forward lies in the future. The past, you've done what you can with it. You have what you have from it. You probably could have done it better. I know I could have. You probably could have more to work with today than you do. Can't go back and get it, so weep not for the past. The future is coming, so fear it not. Adapt to it. That's what we're talking about today as we look at this. So with looking at the future, I want to look at the past a little bit here, my own past. And I want to take you back to a past in my life as a forward-looking, kind of a futurist. I've always been a bit of a futurist. And um, predictions that I've made. And an example of one that I think you might find over the next 10 years to play out the same way here. And that is, I almost always... Almost, always, not always, almost always, get the what right, but often the means not quite right. And what I mean by that is, because a lot of the place we're going is pretty obvious, but the technology to get us there will continue to develop, I can get the path right, but often... New technologies that are better than what we have today that I don't particularly foresee coming are the implementation to get us down the road that I'm predicting. Nothing could be more accurate with this than my prediction for music that I made in an article on a blog that's long since outdated, but if anybody really doubts I wrote this, I've put it out before. I didn't feel like going through the crap to find it today, but it's on the Wayback Machine. You know, everything on the internet's forever. And I wrote this article in 2004 about the music industry. And this is what I said. Basically, the music industry is full of shit. They're screeching and screaming and selling an album right now for the same cost for a digital download as they do for a you know a at the time a, a cased CD, and that there was no justification for that. There's no justification. There's no way to justify that. And at the time, services like LimeWire and other music sharing services were being attacked, and I was like, you can't ever stop this so sooner or later the music industry will have to embrace this and what I envisioned the short version was it was basically going to be a browser based music service that relied on multi host technologies like a LimeWire or a Napster that would allow users because this would go above board right? It would, it would become a publicly acceptable way to do business where users would pay a subscription fee and be able to listen to whatever they want to whenever they want to as long as they were logged into the service that's pretty much every music service available today except it's not browser based it's app based now most of them you can actually be on a browser and do it okay but that's not how most people use it so for instance if you if you're on your computer and you have you know, your browser open, you can go to Pandora.com, log into your Pandora account and listen through the browser on your computer. But most people use an app. It's either an app on your phone or an app on your computer or an app uh on some sort of something that interacts with, let's say, your television set. So we have Pandora on Apple TV that we can listen to downstairs. We have Pandora that's native to a TV set we have up in our, our, our workout room upstairs. And so most of the – what I got wrong was the means. Rather than being this browser-based thing that I envisioned, um, it, it's more of an app-based thing. So that's what I mean. I got the path exactly right. But I got the means by which we got there wrong. And I think there could be some of that in today's show. So I just wanted to be clear about that. There's a lot of things like that over the years that I've I've written on or spoken on where the thing happened the way I said the thing would happen. But tech was developed to make the thing work better because the tech didn't exist when I came up with it. And, and I'm not alone in this. I believe it was H.G. Wells that forecasted satellites, but he thought they would be made out of bricks. That would be another example. Yeah, that's what we had. We had bricks. That was the strongest thing to build shit with. We bricks in space. That didn't work real well, right? So, um, again, I don't feel bad about that. I just want to be clear about that because I may not get these things exactly right. Now, what precipitated this was the hysteria that went on over the holiday. I had a bunch of people reach out to me, people freaking out about this. And it caused a big drop in Bitcoin prices. And I was like, eh, whatever. And I even got some pretty big pushback on social media for saying this won't matter. Uh, I, I now have haters on Parler. I, that means Parler has now succeeded as far as I'm concerned. When you, get, when you attract haters to a new platform and they come over just to hate on you, that platform has now made it. <laughs> anyway, um, I, I said that this would not be a big deal. And you know, three days later... Bitcoin's back up in the nineteen mid, middle nineteen thousand range, right back where it was before this started, and it's going on as though this rumor never happened. But the rumor was, and this came from the Coinbase CEO, that the Trump administration may rush through some onerous requirements on exchanges, and that would be that if you were sending money from your Coinbase account to your non-custodial wallet, your own wallet, your Jax wallet, your Coinomi wallet, your paper, any place you were sending it to off the exchange that they would have to verify the ownership of the counterparty, where it was going. And the, the short version of this not meaning anything is if they managed to somehow do it, which would be very difficult to do with you know all transactions. $5 transaction? You want to do that with a $5 transaction? Does that make any sense? That basically, you would somehow verify that you owned this address that was sitting on a Jack's wallet or a paper wallet or wherever. And once you verified that address, that address is verified as your address. You just send all your Bitcoin or all your Litecoin or all your Ethereum to that address. Now it's off the exchange. Now you send it wherever the hell you want to, including to another uh, address that you control that's not identified. And it doesn't really matter because your side of the transaction was already identified anyway. So unless you were sending money for nefarious activities directly from Coinbase, which nobody but a complete moron would do, that largely this would be ineffectual, and that's why it came back, and a bunch of other things about it. But if you want the more in-depth explanation, you can listen to the video from today. Um, But what this led me to think about is I haven't really talked about where this is all going for a while, and I do have kind of this future-looking mind. So I want to try to make clear today what I see coming and why I see it coming and the means by which we may get there. First, I, I want to start out with this. This is an emerging economy. Cryptocurrency is not just a trading scheme. Is there a trading scheme involving cryptocurrency? Thousands of them. Are there a bunch of cryptocurrencies that will never be anything other than a means to create a trading scheme? Absolutely. There's things like the DeFi market where they're using derivatives of a crypto to create a loophole to get around ICOs, which are now more like initial public offerings, unregulated. Do they exist for that purpose? Sure. Will they be used for that purpose? Sure. Do I care? Yeah, but not for today's discussion. I think that straight up, I have a thing, you want a thing, you send me cryptocurrency, I send you the thing. That economy is an emerging economy. Right now, it is dominated in spending and total dollar value by Target and Amazon, etc., who are using one form or another of cryptocurrency conversion to enable the transaction for me to spend Bitcoin and them to get dollars, or if I'm in Europe, them to get euros, or, or what have you. That is the majority of upfront, across the table spending that everybody can see that's getting reported that is public in cryptocurrency today. Outside of straight-up exchange, people that sell and buy and sell and trade Bitcoin and Litecoin and all these other currencies. That's one type of crypto economy. The emerging economy, though, is the straight transactional economy that writes the bank out. This is the emerging economy, and the more of us that use cryptocurrency, the bigger that economy becomes. So, When the company that you're buying a service or a product from has no interest in converting that money to dollars unless it is to pay an expense that they have to pay. So let's say that they are doing something like they're shipping a product. Well, they might have to convert, if you bought a thing for 50 bucks, and it costs them $7 in total cost to ship it to you, they might have to convert $7 of that to buy postage with. But the other $43, they're going to hold that and use that as cryptocurrency. Either they're going to save it or they're going to spend it as pure crypto to another party that is taking pure crypto. That's the actual emerging economy. And it is growing exponentially rapidly. And it is the future of cryptocurrency as an alternative economy, as a parallel economy, as a private economy, as an alternative economy to the mainstream government-controlled economy. Because right now, if the government really wants to find out that you bought, I don't know, freaking stickers for your kid on Amazon, they can, but it's not real obvious and they have to go through a lot of rigmarole and things like that. When they implement their version of cryptocurrency, and they will, because they say they're going to, and they phase out cash, and they will because they say they're going to, they will be able to simply look at your address, which will be associated with your bank account, and see everything you did, when you did it, how you did it, why you did it, where it went, where it was before it got there, where it went after you sent it there. And they'll be able to do it because they'll control the blockchain that does all the work. They won't need to subpoena information because they'll control the blockchain that does all the accounting. You literally will exist in their ledger that they already possess. And the more people realize what that means, the more people are going to move into this alternative parallel economy that writes them out of it. And the more they'll resist, but again, I think this is an arms race they can't win. When it comes to the ability to navigate between forms of cryptocurrency. So I want to hold the majority of my cryptocurrency in privacy coins, but I'm currently receiving mostly, let's say, Bitcoin or Bitcoin Cash or Ethereum or something like that, and I want to get from one form to another. Decentralized exchanges are the future. Decentralized exchanges are the entire future. Things that are swap site oriented, etc., now, there's a thing called DeFi, and I, I mentioned that already a little bit. I'm going to just leave that out today. It's too complex to, to, to bring into this discussion because that's more about you being able to partake in the development of a new coin by staking another coin against it in a workaround for what shut down ICOs or initial coin offerings. So this is sort of like a company going to start up a project and it's like they're doing an IPO with no regulation. I'm, I'm not I'm not saying that's not a decentralized tool, because it is. That's not what I mean when I say de- decentralized exchange. I simply mean I have Bitcoin, and I want to change it into Litecoin. If you look at exchanges like Changely, where you just simply, just I have this, and I want this sent to this address. I'm going to send this, and you're going to send it back to me. What's going on there is the... The third party is the application provider that's making a secure way for you to do transactions with somebody you don't even know. And in a lot of ways, it's not that much different than a centralized exchange because when you sell a cryptocurrency on a centralized exchange, there's a counterparty. Somebody else is buying it. That's what sets the market price. Now, the exchange itself, based on trading patterns, may provide liquidity to make it go through a little bit quicker, but in the end, it's still two people doing business, and you've got a central party in the middle uh, negotiating that and vouching for it to the government. These two people did business, here's who they are. In a decentralized exchange, basically you have a technology being provided that lets Bill and Ted exchange and swap cryptocurrencies. And that is only going to get bigger and stronger, and it will get to the point where you cannot shut it down. You can't shut down the Internet, even though people talk about it. You can't shut down the ability of data to be sent across the Internet, especially encrypted data that you can't read. And you will get to a point where these are not even websites. Like, as long as they can operate as a website, since people are familiar with the technology, there will be a website. But there will be pieces of software or applications that you'll be able to run on computers or machines of some sort that will take care of all this, that there is no one to go arrest. Now, there may be somebody somewhere profiting from fees because generally people do things in exchange for value. They give you a value, your ability for you to not to be billed and exchange with Ted and not have either one of you worry about who the other party is. But th- that may be done in such a way that there's not even a place to go get a person. This thing is being used. Who built it? We don't know. Where do the fees go? They go to this address. Where's that address? I don't know. All the fees are paid in a privacy coin. Whoops. Who has that money? We don't know. Shut it down. We can't. Why not? It's a distributed, decentralized system. It is its own blockchain. Every person that uses it becomes a node on it. Who are they? We don't know. Even if we did, there's 10 million of them. You see how that works? By the way, we can't identify them because they they appear on a network as an encrypted node that we can't see. And all the technology to do this already exists. It's already being used. It's just going to become more and more the future of cryptocurrency. And it's not as needed as people think. When we think of trading, we think about people who, who trade for a living, day traders and things like that. All we're talking about here is simple conversion. I want to hold X percentage of my portfolio in various privacy coins, and X percent in, you know, Y percent in things like Bitcoin or Bitcoin Cash. And I'm, I'm heavy to one side of this because I just received this and I want to take it out of that into there. That's what I'm talking about. That is going to be everything. I predict that as these become more reliable and more populated with options, centralized exchanges will begin to decline anyway. Okay? Um... Next, privacy coins will be dominant in the space, and they will only get better in their ability to preserve privacy. There's, there's two things that are really the value proposition of cryptocurrency. One is the elimination of the need for a centralized third party, i.e. a banking system. And just think of the banks and the government as the same. Because the banks are running the government... And the banks are the ones that loan the money into existence to the government. And therefore, the banks control the government. So when you're doing business with the banks, you're doing business with the government, is the way to think of it. I know it's not exactly right, but it's the way to think of it. Because the state and the state systems are run by the banks. The banks run the world. If you don't understand that, if you refuse to accept that, I don't know what to say. So privacy is one of the big options and the big advantages, and the other is simply eliminating the interaction with that edge that is the state and the state systems and the banking system. Because we can do transactions more quickly, we can do them over the right platforms and services in a trustless manner, okay, and we can do them for lower cost. So by eliminating the bank, we we get lower cost, We get trustless transactions without the need of a third party, and we get faster transactions. And if you think, well, bank transactions are quick, well, bank transactions are quick because of the intermediary like a credit card processor. We can get around all of that. The other side, and this is what made people really gravitate toward it in the beginning, is privacy. But as we've learned, currencies like Bitcoin are not really that private. Once we identify an address and its owner... We can then track everything back and forward from that address every time a movement happens on a public ledger we call a blockchain. When we have a privacy coin, there's a number. What does it mean? I don't know, neither do you. And that's what we're getting with currencies like Monero like Ghost, like R, which is my favorite of the of the privacy coins right now, A-R-R-R. We had those guys on the show back around the 4th of November. By the way, if you picked up a little bit of R right now, your return would be about 104%. Just saying. Okay, I'm not saying that that's why to get into cryptocurrency. I'm just saying, like, yeah. I mean, so you have a private currency that can't be seen, that can't be seized, that can't be taken, and it's gone up to almost double in value since we first introduced you to it. Not a bad thing to know about. Um on that note, though, there's going to be a lot of microtransactions continuing, like Doge tipping. Doge is uh, a coin that was almost a joke. Uh, in fact, I think that's a, it's like dog coin, right? D-O-G-E, Doge. Um, I think it's used a lot right now for tipping like on Reddit and stuff like that. It's a microtransactional thing. Like, it's, it's, it, even though it's a joke, and even though it's super cheap, like massive volumes of it are exchanged every day. Uh, LBC or library tokens right that we, we've talked about at length before I've had the founder of that on a couple times. Uh, there's a, a, a token called spikes being used for tipping uh, in places like even restaurants and stuff was getting used until COVID kind of bashed back restaurants. Uh, basic attention tokens right bat that's the, the the token that works with the brave browser. Um, all of those types of things I think we'll see more and more of. Like, I wanted to talk about bat a little bit as an example of something that needs to change. So I get a certain amount of bat every month because people who visit my site and what have you say, hey, I want to tip Jack. I, they maybe have a list of 10 sites, and they put up 10 bucks a month, and that tips everybody a buck. Or it, it distributes based on who they visit most, based on that. So I get some money in bat every, every month, sort of. I guess to handle legal loopholes or God knows what, the people that founded uh, Brave worked out a deal with a company called Uphold. It's like an online centralized wallet. And all my bat that I receive from you guys goes to an Uphold wallet that they set up for me that I have to then access. And then I have to convert it to something. I can convert it to dollars and send it to my bank account or get a gift card for it. I can convert it to Bitcoin or uh, there's a couple other cryptos I can convert it to. And once I convert it to a crypto, I can send it from Uphold to a non-custodial wallet, i.e. my Jaxx wallet, dot io. It's kind of a pain in the ass. And I don't understand why they didn't make it work the way, let's say, library credits do. So when you're, you set up an Odyssey slash library account, right? So Odyssey is the, the brand that they're really going for with Heavy now. And you immediately have a wallet. And you do some things. And as a reward for like watching videos, etc., they give you some library credits. Or you decide you want to buy some because you really like Odyssey. So you go to Bittrex. You throw, I don't know, 50 bucks worth of freaking Bitcoin into your Bitrix account. You buy 50 bucks worth of library credits, which are like $0.03 cents a piece or something like that. And you transfer them over to your library account. And then you say, I really like that video Jack did. I'm going to give him five LBC coins, 15 cents, send. And it just happens. And I get it, and we're we're direct. Brave didn't do that, and I think it's a mistake. And I think the direct relationship tipping economy is going to be huge in an age of information where people really value getting information that they trust from people that they trust and people they feel like they know that they know is not filtered. So you listen to TSP, and I might talk about something, and I might be wrong, but I'm not filtered. No one says to me, Jack, you can't say that. Do you know that what I'm telling you is my true opinion, and I try to be very clear when I'm giving opinion versus conjecture or opinion versus fact. In fact, like one thing I wrote in today's show notes, and I want to say it now, is everything I'm giving you is what I would call educated speculation. This is what I think is going to happen. I don't know any of this. But that's actually more valuable to people today than, I'm Dan Rather and this is the news. Because you know Dan Rather is going to tell you whatever the hell he's told to tell you. And there might be things he like maybe he's not a complete douchebag. Maybe he really wants to tell you something. But he's not permitted to. And if he does tell you that he's going to get fired... So people that are willing to step up and say, here's what I know, here's how I know it, here's what I think, here's why I think it, people value that. And the ability to tip people $0.05, cents, $0.10 cents here and there easily is huge. Now, I think what's going to happen next is privacy combined with tipping. So that right now, those transactions are so many and so minute, nobody cares. And it'd be almost impossible to really do anything with as the state But eventually, you're going to get more of those. So you're going to look at things that are more like R used for tipping, A-R-R-R, right? R used for tipping because now you have privacy and you have tipping. And I think you'll see those worlds begin to merge. Um, I've talked about this a lot, but I really think you're going to start to see more reserve currency options. And right now, we have... Two forms of what we would call a reserve currency and cryptocurrency in the way that I'm phrasing it. The most famous of which, of course, is Bitcoin. And Bitcoin acts as a reserve in that if I buy or receive some other form of cryptocurrency without going back to the state's money, I can convert to Bitcoin and from Bitcoin to just about anything else that I want. So if I've received Augur as a form of cryptocurrency, or I've received, I don't know, Binance Coin, or I've received any, XRP, Ripple, whatever I've received. And I don't want that. And right now I'm deciding that I want to continue to to, to build my portfolio on privacy coins, and I want Monero. I may not be able to take Augur, right, or Ethereum, or what have you, and directly buy Monero. But if I convert to Bitcoin, then I can buy Monero. And going the other way, if I have Monero and I want to take currency into the, the, the non-privacy space for whatever reason, maybe I want to enact a transaction within an Ethereum smart contract, and I either want to use something like a wrapped Bitcoin or actual Ethereum or something like that, and I want to get into that form of currency, I can go from Monero to Bitcoin to that form of currency. Sometimes I can go Monero right to Ethereum. Those markets exist too, but no matter what the currencies are, Bitcoin is the one that is most commonly a link. So we think of it as a reserve that way. The other reserve is that I can park my digital assets in something like Tether, which is tethered to the U.S. dollar, or you know some other form of a dollar coin, right? So that it's each one's worth a dollar, and it, you know maybe it become one day it's worth ninety eight cents, and next day it's worth a dollar and a penny. But one way or another, it pretty much makes me be able to sit in digital without going back to fiat, but be stable. We call them stable coins. And both of those act as one form or another of a type of reserve. But I think what what, what I'm talking about is you'll begin to see more of a a basketized currency based on other stable or semi-stable or reserve quality or reserve class cryptos. Like I can see a a basket being based on a specific ratio of, let's say, Bitcoin, Ethereum, and Litecoin that maybe then is attached to some sort of a privacy coin that gives that privacy coin more stability because there's a backing, and maybe it's a fractionalized backing. Nothing's off limits here. So instead of a one-for-one, one, what we're saying is no matter what, there's at least this much behind the scene, and that can be executed through something called smart contracts so that it can be trustless and it can be auditable, but yet you still can't see the parties involved. I think you'll see more things like that because that's what I think will eventually empower the return of the concept that I I, I think I came up with. I don't know if I was the first one, but... Man, I don't think anybody covered it more, especially at the time I was talking about it, the virtual nations. Where eventually we will have a way that people will be able to say, I am a citizen of Libertas or something, right? And and that I am doing business as a citizen of this nation. And you can have dual citizenship. Even if your country says you can't, you can't enforce this. You don't even know that I I am this other citizen. And I think that's what we're going to get into, a point where people will be able to use some sort of third-party provided service that may in fact even be automated and yet disposes of the verification means in a way that's auditable, no cheating, as soon as the verification is confirmed. Creating a second ID that is known to be trustworthy for the actions taken as that ID. And that ID may even become dynamic, meaning that it actually changes. You hold keys to it, but the part of it that can be seen, much like a privacy coin, changes. So instead of giving you a 27-character chain of letters and numbers... That would be difficult to say, and you'd glow, glow over. Let's just say that your digital ID today is Bob. We can see that you're Bob. Bob. Okay. Well, who's Bob? Well, again, this is a very long chain of numbers. So Bob would be a pretty specific Bob. You know, like Bob Smith that lives at one two three Fake Street uh, on uh, you know in uh, Tegucigalpa, California, or something like that, right? Like it would be pretty specific. Bob, just think of it as Bob. But that's who you are today, tomorrow you're Tom. And the next day you're Sam, and the next day you're Wilma. And the next day you're Fred Flintstone. And the next day you're Barney Rubble. And the next day you're Hanna Barbera. And the next day you're a fish. And the next day you are not sure. And the next day, see, right? You see what I'm going like the the, the visible portion of what you are on the outside changes daily, hourly, minutely. There is no limit to what this could actually be. So that when you look on the outside and you see that Bill sent money to Ted, Bill and Ted are different public identifiers tomorrow. The underside remains constant, but it's controlled the same way you control your your privacy or your private keys with a cryptocurrency. That might be hard to understand, but understand that it can be built in a way To the user, they don't have to actually... Like, you don't understand how a telephone works, but you know how to use it like that. And what makes these type of things able to be this private is that the open source nature allows for the underlying mechanism to be publicly auditable even if you can't see what's on the other side of it. In other words, if 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 there's trickery going on, if this is actually the .gov set up a snare, it's being looked at by... Thousands and thousands of programmer eyes, who do nothing but develop this shit, and and want to be the guy that finds the screw job. It, it 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 it's it's immensely a secure proposition that can be done. I'm not saying that the attempt could never be made, but I don't think you'll have one of these being rolled out. You'll have dozens of these, and people will pick the ones that make the most sense for them. And it may even be the case that there's some sort of if you think of KYC or know your customer requirements now where documents that verify you are Bill Bill TED one oh one five, right, and you are known by this state based nomenclature of you know Jack Spirico junior of Texas. And there could be an encryption on the backside that if somebody comes in and tries to be me, uh, rejection. Right? Rejection. We already have, we've already got one. We've already got one. You can't be him because he's already here. But the means by which that was verified are destroyed after the verification so that you can't go in and audit and track me down and figure out who I am. And this is actually no different than the technology being used for things like Zcash or Pirate Chain or what have you now. We're just applying them to a person. Now, the person is a token, which is exactly what they want to do to you at the government level. They want to make you into a digital ID. You'll be a digital token. You'll vote with that. You'll pay taxes with it. You'll be audited with it. They'll know you are Bob31495. This is a private version of what they're trying to do to you. And what's the point of that? Well, now you could do business through exchanges, whether they were exchanging currency, decentralized, or you could do business with other parties as this being that's known to be who it says it is, but you don't get to know who that is. And you could literally create an anonymous parallel nation with this. Where the governance is a technology. And the technology is not controlled. It is. And it answers queries from the government with, none of your effing business. I couldn't tell you if I wanted to, and I'm a machine. Good luck. And and I know that sounds like Star Trek level. Star Trek got a lot of shit right, though, man. And why you would do this again is because then you can create this way for you to be as public as you want with whomever you want. But even though they can know who you are today, they can't know who you are tomorrow, and they can't find you or where you went. And you could even have a rating that tracks with a dynamic identifier that changes, but the rating remains constant. So you know, have a trustable party, but no. Nope. And if you wanted to be public, like once you had ten million people in your virtual nation, you could be as public as you want with the, what you want to be public with, and as private as you want with what you want to be private with. Because you might want to be able to go to a, another foreign government and say, "We want to be respected by you." Why? Because we have ten million people with purchasing power, or a corporation, same. You might operate more like a virtual Indian reservation. Except it's a humanity reservation, a reservation to protect the rights of humanity. Does that mean every one of these that comes out is going to work? Nope. Does it mean that everybody everybody that puts together something like this is going to do it for good? Nope. It just means it's going to be an option. And it is going to be a major way that things get done in the future. Next, the growth in crypto-only product and services offering is going to be immense. What I mean by that is there's going to be more and more people and more and more entities, whether those entities be sole proprietors or corporations as we think of them now, operating within this window, this this, this structure. You basically, you're talking about virtual nations becoming a new corporate-type structure, but it's not a corporate structure. And that corporate structure can represent an individual or a group of individuals or a, an agenda or an initiative or a project and it can be trustworthy and anonymous at the same time and more and more of those entities will say if you don't have crypto we don't do business with you more and more of those will exist Um, I think another thing we have to look at is altcoins so again altcoins are the, the litany of tokens and coins that exist huge numbers of them um, they will, I, I think they will continue to do well, at least the quality ones. But I think if you think back a few years when everybody was jumping into crypto really, really fast because their uncle said to and they finally listened to him, even though the uncle said to do it three years earlier and was saying, be careful right now. But, hey, I got to do it because it's everywhere and it's on Big Bang Theory. And everything was up. Everything was up. There wasn't an altcoin that wasn't up massively. And do you remember what I said? Be really careful right now. A bloodbath is coming. I have a video still somewhere out there. I bet if you go Spirico Crypto Bloodbath, you'll find it. And I was, the monkeys threw shit at me. The crypto monkeys threw all the crypto shit at me. You're crazy, you don't know what you're talking and it hit. I don't think, and I said then, I don't think we're ever going back to this place where you just roll out an altcoin and a year later it's worth 107,000% of what it was. And everything goes up and everything keeps going up. That, that's done. I think it's much harder to make an altcoin successful today. And it has to truly bring something to the table from a utilitarian standpoint that doesn't already exist. It doesn't mean something can't be pumped and dumped. That will continue. But this idea that you know just invest in 20 of the, uh, the lowest cost alt and wait... In a year and you'll have a Lamborghini. Like that's done. What has out. Returned almost everything. Since that point is Bitcoin. If you look at. Even the most quality alternative currencies. And. Where they were. Versus where they fell to. And where they came back to. They have. They kept pace or outpaced Bitcoin on the run up. They dropped with Bitcoin fairly relatively on the drop, and when Bitcoin recovered, they never quite kept up. If you look at something like Ethereum, Ethereum was, God, almost two grand or something like that when Bitcoin was this price last time. Now it's like 600 bucks. And that's what I'm talking about. I think that, that you will never see those days of all the ites, alts rising commensurate with Bitcoin again. So don't expect It doesn't mean don't use them, but understand why you're using what you're using. Um, I think some crypto and in- in- increasingly not just legacy crypto, like think about that. Like Bitcoin's been around so long, you can call it a legacy crypto. Litecoin's been around so long, and Ethereum's been around so long, you can call them legacy crypto. I think you will see new cryptos that are going to be made because in this space there will be people that want to do business on their own blockchain but want it to be totally public. They want John Q. Public who's going to pay every diamond tax. They want the fishing guide who pays taxes on his tips to be able to use it. And so they will make cryptos that play nice with FedCoin and EuroCoin and whatever World Bank coins come out. Those will exist too, and there's going to be room for both of those. You're almost going to have three economies. You're going to have a, a government economy-run system, and a not, I'm going to say above board, but a public-private system. In other words, the data is public, but the ownership is private, and you're going to have a privacy-based economy where you everything is privately owned and everything is protected with a bubble of privacy. Um, I think that one of the things that people really are going to underestimate in all of this is the growth in privacy, period. So technologies that enable privacy are going to be one of the biggest growth sectors of the next decade. So I'm talking about improved versions of existing VPN technology. I'm talking about improved ability to mask your behavior and what you're doing in a browser. I'm going to tell you that I think you're going to actually have one-off systems for social media where you're a verified social media member, but somebody still can't tell who you are. Like everything is going to move toward a value of privacy And people really need to get through their heads. I shared this article this week, and and I'm like, I can't believe I have to say this, but I realize that I do. Basically, the point was privacy and security are not the same. So people think they want their transactions to be secure. Sure you do. But secure does not equal private, and private in of itself does not equal secure. Though privacy itself begats a certain level of security. If you can't see it, it's hard to steal it. If you can't see it, it's hard to know what happened. It's hard to do something about it. But security means no one can get to it. So if you had a house and it had 12 foot thick bulletproof glass walls, you have a lot of security. Somebody can throw a 50 cal at it. <laughs> And you're like the, the, the troops inside the Castillo de San Marcos when the French were shelling it. What? Okay, you have to look that up. I'm not going to go into it today. You, you, you're, just, you, you're, you're safe. You have no privacy. Every person that walks by your house can look in and see everything that you're doing. You see what I'm saying? And so privacy, an envelope that takes the security and then also cloaks it, so that it can only be seen by those who you choose to allow to see it, that's one of the most fundamental human desires that exists. So we're moving into a world where everything's being done to take away privacy. And we have a technology that enables more privacy than it's ever existed in the digital sense. And you can only expect that that industry will be a mega-trend growth industry in direct response to the desire by the elites to know everything about everyone so they can control everybody. That's the desire. That's why they, they don't want to take away your security. They want you to feel very secure. Then you're a good sheep. You listen to the sheepdog and you stay in the, ho- the, the herd, right? Flock. Do what you're told, and the shepherd beats you with a stick, and you get to eat what the shepherd says when the shepherd says to. It's a fine life for a sheep, not for people. But that's what they want. But as we get ready toward wrapping this up today, I've also gotten a ton of emails from people that basically, some of them literally say, I want to get involved in cryptocurrency, but I'm scared. One even I read today said, I'm terrified. If you follow my five don'ts, you can be fearless. Okay. Number one, don't give in to FOMO. So don't jump in with a bunch of money because you're afraid that you're going to miss out on the opportunity to make a bunch of money. Everybody that ever does that in any market usually gets hurt because that means you're operating with a sense of urgency devoid of an understanding. So FOMO has no place here. So you don't operate coming in right from the beginning with a fear of missing out. That's not a thing. You're not worried that if I don't get involved today, I'm going to miss my opportunity. Don't do that. Number two, do not listen to the willfully ignorant. I've talked about this before. You can People say you can cure ignorance, and you can't cure stupidity. Right? Stupid is stupid. Ignorant is simply a lack of knowledge. I think it's more difficult to cure willful ignorance than true stupidity. All I have to do to break through stupidity with someone, if they're willing, is to understand what's blocking their understanding and work around it or remove it. So sometimes a person can listen to 12 very good instructors, all explain the same thing perfectly and still not understand it. And a person can go, wait a minute, let me give you an analogy. And they go, oh, and the lights come on. So there's a level of dullard in there that can be breached with the right instruction. Willful ignorance is terminal for as long as the person chooses to be willfully ignorant. No matter what you explain to them, they will not understand it. And most of the people talking shit about cryptocurrency are willfully ignorant. Here's an example. When this shit came out about Trump, the Trump administration with this onerous requirement, I said, like, I I put it on Parlor and I said, it's not going to be a thing, but this is shitty. And Trump should be seeing the things like pardoning people right now. You know, not this. And then I was immediately attacked by Trump tards on parlor. There's lots of them there. And one of them said, tell you the truth, I wouldn't mind if cryptocurrency was made illegal anyway. It's only used by rich people for nefarious things, and it's used for selling drugs, and nobody can afford to buy in except the uber rich. And a bunch of other stupid shit. So then I looked up this person's profile, and literally everything they were sharing is how the media lies about Trump. Now, where do you think they got the information on cryptocurrency? See, that's willfully ignorant. You do not listen to willfully ignorant people on any subject they're willfully ignorant on. Crypto just happens to be the one we're talking about today. When you identify that somebody has willfully chosen ignorance about a subject and then wants to advise you on it, do not, do not, do not listen to that person. Number three, don't start with a lot of money. Right? Don't start with a lot of money. Start with a little bit of money. If you only use a little bit of money, there's not a lot to fear. Don't start with trading in mind. Right? Don't, don't even start with the idea of like, I'm going to go trade and I'm going to make a bunch of money. Or I'm going to stake a bunch of money and get an 8% return. Like just, you, what you're coming into this with is simply a standpoint of, I want to learn how to use it. Which brings me to my final thing. Don't let fear keep you out. And I, it kind of, I'm kind of saying it three different ways here, but, you're not starting with a lot of money again. Think about pizza money start. Usually when we order pizzas, we're not like, oh boy. If I order pizza, man, I'm going spend 50 bucks on pizzas. I, man, I don't know. If I, uh, if I made my own pizzas, I could do it for like 10 bucks. But I'm going to order these pizzas for convenience and somebody's going to bring them to my house. But 50 bucks, man, I, you know if you are thinking that way of when it comes to ordering a pizza you probably don't need to be ordering pizza you probably need to be living on ramen noodles and figuring out what's wrong with your income right but if you think of it as a pizza money start as a dinner out start as money you would take to Vegas if you gamble start then there's just nothing to fear let's say you went and bought 200 bucks worth of bitcoin and you you would go spend 200 bucks on an evening out with friends and The next day, if you woke up with a bit of a hangover and thought, "Ah, that was kind of dumb, but you would just go on with your life. Okay, so that's the worst that can happen if you start with a couple hundred bucks. You can lose a couple hundred dollars. Now, unless you do something dumb like send it to an address to some Nigerian prince who's going to send you back more Bitcoin or something like that, you're not going to lose 100% of your money. It's currency. It goes up and down, but it's still a currency. So you start with a couple hundred bucks. You get a couple ownership with the Bitcoin. You buy it on a KYC exchange like Coinbase. You send it to your own account. You've done that now. You've developed that skill set. Maybe you send yourself 10 bucks first and make sure it works. You receive the transaction. You're probably freaking out for an hour or so or a half hour or so when it takes to go through and show up. Because if we're using Bitcoin, it's the slowest freaking cryptocurrency there is with the highest fees. But it shows up and it got here. I have it there. I'll send the rest over. Okay. Now I'm gonna look up how to maybe I want some of this to be in Litecoin. Well I can do that in a Jax wallet with Shapeshift. How do I do that? Just search how to use ShapeShift in Jaxx and watch it. And then maybe shift ten bucks. That way you can make sure you know how to do it before you do it with your whole two hundred dollars. Because then you could make it go away if you do it wrong. So you do it with ten bucks. It didn't work. You go figure out what you did wrong. It cost ten bucks to learn. And you just do it until you figure it out. And then you're like, oh. And it's one of those things you'll never fully understand or understand the power thereof until you do it. So then you do this, and you start to realize all these things. And then you start to do more research, and you start to learn. You start to think about what do I kind of want in my life here You learn how exchanges work. You learn about no KYC versus KYC exchanges. And you slowly move some of your assets into it. And the best way to get more is to take it for doing something. In other words, to sell something for it. I'd much rather sell somebody a $50 MSB membership than receive $50 of currency and go buy $50 worth of Bitcoin. I'd much rather do it that way. I love when somebody buys My MSB product with cryptocurrency. Don't even care what kind. doesn't matter to me. I'm fine with it. Because that was a private, actual private transaction. And that is how I've built most of my wealth in cryptocurrency, from accepting it. And I know not everybody has a membership program, but there's probably something you could be doing. If you're a content creator on YouTube right now, you could literally just mirror your site over to library, start promoting your library channel, and build up currency there. I currently have about 14K of library credits. Been doing it for a few months. Yes, I had a big market to start with, but my, my library following not that big. Or my Odyssey following, I should say, right? It's not that big. There are ways to do this. And no one, like people, send me some videos or whatever. Like, look, you can look up all the videos you want. But you got to figure out what do you want to do and then figure out how to do that one thing. And if you do it with what I'm calling pizza money, and whatever it is for you that, that qualifies as pizza money. Some of you are like, I wouldn't buy a pizza. I don't either. But I'm trying to make it approachable, right? Vegas money. Vacation money. Pissaway money. I don't give a F money, right? Like, And some of you don't have any. You don't need to be doing this. You don't need to be doing this except you still could be. If you're going to buy something and if they'll take cryptocurrency, buy enough cryptocurrency to do the thing that you're going to do anyway with your money and maybe buy just a little bit more and leave a little bit of it behind. And every time you do a transaction and you have to buy in a little bit, leave a little bit behind. That's another way to do it. You know, Because I'm telling you, some of the emails I get, I'm really like, am I being misunderstood here? Because how could you be terrified to spend 200 bucks It's on yourself because you get to keep the currency. Like, would you be terrified to buy $200 worth of Ford stock? And if you would, then maybe this isn't for you. But, man, I, you might want to adapt. And I'll end what I said with last week. And this is why I'm pushing it. Crypto must be seen as a skill set and one you really should develop. So even though I just said maybe it's not for you, what I mean is maybe it's not for you until you figure out how to get your head around this idea and and how to figure out, I'm going to set this little bit aside, and I'm going to start basically just playing with this. Because I know there's some of you guys out there who would put 200 bucks into an online poker account and start playing poker tomorrow, which to me is a hell of a lot riskier you can very quickly lose $200 playing online poker i don't know from experience but i just have enough intuition to know that that is a thing that, 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 that again every time there's a winner there's a loser that's how that works so use the pizza money approach get involved if you're going to buy some and you're going to you know buy some for cash please consider using my link go through coinbase that's it. no matter how you're going to do it going from cash to crypto in any easy online way, is going to require KYC. Yes, Coinbase does KYC. So does everybody else. Once you have Bitcoin, right, once you start accepting Bitcoin, once you start understanding how this all works, there are exchanges where you can exchange it without any KYC. And like I said, I think all this other stuff's coming. I hope this is a good forward-looking show for you guys. The biggest thing, and I, I hope I didn't get too technical in it. What I want you to understand, and I want you to take away from today's show, is everything people say about they're going to shut down cryptocurrency or whatever by doing X, Y, Z, there's already a solution that a redneck hippie duck farmer can look at and go, this is all you got to do. And there's people in this space that make me look dumb as a box of rocks, and I am grateful for those people. You know, They may or may not be smarter than me, but they're smarter than me about using this technology. And good. And good. Because that's what is an entrepreneur that I've always been. I see this thing, and then I get people that can make the technology to do it. I don't know how to build the technology. I'm Henry Ford. Henry Ford. They asked him one time why he didn't have a college degree. And he said I got hundreds of guys with him that work for me. Why would I need one? That's kind of how this works. You 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 have people that can see the end in mind, and can look at the pieces and parts of technology and say here's how I think this could be built. And you have people that actually build the technology. And go, you got a great idea there. But instead, we're going to use this thing over here. Instead of a browser, we're going to use an application. That type of thinking. And I, I don't see a world existing where this doesn't happen now. Where we don't end up with protected identities that are trustable and verifiable when it is desired that the party w- that, that, that is unknown wishes to be known to the other party. Where you and I can know each other. For the purpose of this transaction, and it's completely private, and who we are to the public is different tomorrow. That's coming. Because there is, again, the technology to do this already exists in a Z address, like a Zcash address. That's basically what that is. That's just for a token instead of a person. And that's where we're headed. We're headed to a place where people will have multiple citizenships, multiple stakes in different opportunities within the world, but it will be the people who are informed that can do this. And as complicated as it sounds, how do you learn anything? One piece at a time. So instead of worrying, well, how do I stake my cryptocurrency in Arc? Do you know how to buy cryptocurrency? No. Well, let's figure out how to do that. Okay, Okay. now how do I st- stake, do a staking of my cryptocurrency in Arc? Because that's what Jack did. Maybe you don't want to use Arc. Maybe there's a better staking option. Let's not do that, because do you know how to take your cryptocurrency... And send it to another address that you will also control and verify that it got there. Do you know how to do that? No. Okay. Then why don't you learn how to do that? So you learn how to do that. Okay. Great. I've got my cryptocurrency off Coinbase. It's sitting in my Jack's wallet. Okay. Or it's sitting in my Bittrex account or my CoinEx account or whatever. Okay. Great. Okay. Now do you know how to change that cryptocurrency into another currency? Do you know how to use Bitcoin to buy whatever? Litecoin or ARK? No, I don't. Okay. Learn how to do that. Great, you did that. Okay, now what did you say you wanted to do? I wanted to learn how to stake my ARC. Okay, so the next step, instead of having to go through all this, now you already have gotten that far. All you got to do now is download the ARC wallet and send your ARC to your ARC wallet. Okay, now you've done that. Then you can go look up how do I stake my ARC? See all the other things you needed to do a hundred other things with cryptocurrency, but they also applied here. And it wouldn't be any challenge at all to go from sending my currency from my exchange account to my ARC wallet, I just need a new wallet because it works the same way. I put an address in, I confirm it, and boom, and then the money goes there. And now the only thing I have to figure out is this last piece, and there's all kinds of online shit tells you how to do it. But when you start trying to do this complicated-seeming thing and all the steps that go in it, instead of what is the basics... The basics is, how do I get my hands on this, and how do I move it around, and how I turn it from one thing to another? You do that. That's the core of the skill set. And then, a lot of this other stuff I'm talking about today, where you might be like, he's over my head. As simple as that all sounded, once you do it, you would be like, oh, I get that. Of course. So, if if Jack can send me R today, not ARC, R, -R A-R-R, private chain, and there's a number that doesn't mean anything attached to a number that means something and he and I can see the number that means something but nobody else can, then why can't that currency that Jack sent to me be an identity that's dynamic in the same way? Well, that makes perfect sense now. And you're going to see it's not just cryptocurrency that's going to use this. You use dynamic encryption coding where when you send information to somebody... And you send it to them again. There's no repetitive pattern for someone that's trying to decrypt the exchange of information. And yeah. We're going to get into the point where maybe government can do everything as well. They can develop their own encryption that's just as good or even better. Doesn't mean they can you can break the other guys. Think about it that way. You can have two 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 competitors develop technologies that are very similar in how they work. and It doesn't mean either one can decrypt the other. That's the world we're heading into. That is the future of cryptocurrency as I see it. And again, just like my forecasting of the music industry back in 2004, the tools that get us there may change, but I think the path is pretty clear. With that, uh, we've wrapped up another episode, and the last episode of the month heading into December tomorrow I want to remind you guys if you like this show and the work that we do, one of the ways you can help support us is to do your online shopping at tspaz.com, t-s-p-a-z.com. I don't have an individual item of the day for you today. What I have for you is the fact that due to Cyber Monday, the uh, company that I really love called Anchor, A-N-K-E-R, has a ton of stuff on sale. Almost everything I recommend by them in T-S-P-A-Z is on sale. Um, the Soundcore 2 portable Bluetooth uh, speaker, which is a 12 watt little stereo sound speaker, normally sells for 50 bucks. It's on sale for 30, and it's a deal at 50. The portable PowerCore essential chargers are on sale today. The Astro E7, that's the big one, the 26,800 milliamp hour, is on sale for 38 bucks. That is a massive amount of backup power. Uh, the Q10 Bluetooth headphones, those things are on sale for 30 to 33 bucks, depending on the color. To me, they, they embarrass any competitor on the market selling under 100 bucks. They are the best under $100 headphones you can get your hands on, other than the slightly better ones Anchor makes themselves for like 55 bucks. And on that note, almost half of everything Anchor makes is on sale. If you go to the uh, website today and you look up the post on this, uh, I have a link where you can see everything that Anchor makes that's on sale on Cyber Monday and one of the little bonuses i threw in is the soundcore um black bluetooth wireless in-ear headphones 36 bucks they'll make you wonder why anybody pays 150 bucks for airpods from i uh, from the apple store i mean really they are phenomenal so i would and those are on sale for 109 bucks today airpods you can get airpods through t-spas for 109 um but i would keep the 73 bucks myself and a ton of stuff's on sale for Cyber Monday. So if you look up this post, again, just go to the Survival Podcast and scroll down. The title's Anchor Items on Sale Big Time Today. If you're on the Telegram channel, if you're on the email list, any of the social media, you probably already saw it come through today, but uh, you can see all the stuff that's on sale for Cyber Monday through there as well. With that, let's go ahead and wrap things up with our song of the day. We all have, we have songs today that are all hooked in on 2020. Uh, and things that were released in 2020, things that are attached to what went on in 2020 thus far, kind of a look-back-before-it's-over type of thing. The first song today is by John Prine. John Prine is an amazing folk singer. He actually started out as a mailman. He had, had like a side hustle as a musician to attract women, and he became fairly successful. And uh, this song is just a wonderful ballad, and it's titled I Remember... Everything And it's a look back at a relationship uh, that it sounds to me as though the other party is gone and not gone in the way where someone leaves another person, but more that person's past. And the line drop that I put out on social media where I'll drop uh, a few lines of the song of the day without telling anybody what it is today was, I've been down this road before, alone as I can be, careful not to let my past Go sneaking up on me, and that really does kind of uh, work in with today's quote of the day of, you know, not mourning the past nor fearing the future. Don't cry for the past, don't fear the future. This is a beautiful song, and what kind of hooks it in is a 2020 song. Is this was released after Prine's death, and Prine died of complications of COVID. At least that's the official report. He did have significant other health problems. This song was actually recorded around Thanksgiving of 2018 but wasn't released until after his death and it was the last song that Prime ever recorded it's a beautiful song it will always have that link to 2020 because we lost Prime this year but it also has I think a deeper message than just the ending of a romantic relationship in the context of the types of things we were talking about today with that's been Jack Spirko with another edition of the Survival Podcast
0: I've been down this road before I remember every tree Every single blade of grass Holds a special place for me And I remember every town And every hotel room and every song I ever sang On a guitar out of tin I remember everything, things I can't forget, the way you turned and smiled on me on the night that we first met, and I remember every night, your ocean as a blue, how I miss you in the morning light, like roses miss the dew. I've been down this road before, alone as I can be, careful not to let my past go sneaking up on me, got no future in my happiness, though regrets are very few, sometimes a little tenderness was the best that I could do. I remember everything, things I can't forget, swimming pools of butterflies that slip right through the net, and I remember every night, your ocean eyes are blue, how I miss you in the morning light, like roses miss the dew. I miss you in the morning light Like roses miss the dew